But God was sovereign when he brought those people back into the land. When Hitler murdered six million Jewish people, God, as the Bible says, uses the wrath of man to praise him. God used the devil's sword to cut off his own head. God used that to create a desire for the Jews to come to their homeland. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, a daily walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study of chapter 11 of the book of Romans. and This is also the end of the national section of Romans, which encompasses chapters 9, 10, and 11. The national section begins by looking at the nation of Israel being God's specially elected nation. Then we see Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, And here in chapter 11, we find Israel's eventual restoration as they embrace Jesus as the one true Son of God. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And so listen to what some of the pagans said in Jeremiah 33, 24. Have you not observed what the people, referring to the heathens around them, have you not observed what the people have spoken, saying the two families meaning the ten northern tribes, Israel, the two southern tribes, Judah, the two families which the Lord chose, He has rejected them. Thus they despise My people. No longer are they as a nation in their sight. But here's God's response. Thus says the Lord, If My covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, and He has... It's much like what we read in Jeremiah 31, 36. If the fixed order that God has in in making the earth revolve around the sun and giving the moon and the stars and all those things a place, if that ever departs, then God will depart from having Israel as a nation. And so he's saying the same thing using different words, just as God has day and night and it continues and continues and continues, so Israel will continue as a nation before me. But God said, if that were not true, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not the case. I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Now, that's a word of prophecy, and it's never been fulfilled. But just as all 333 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were literally actually fulfilled, so will all the prophecies be fulfilled for the second coming. Now look again at verse 23 here in Romans 11. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And to illustrate the logic of this coming restoration, he says in verse 24, for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, I'm not a horticulturist, I'm a biblicist, but it's times as, a, as someone who studies the Bible, I have to study horticulture because God uses many times illustrations from that realm. And if you know anything about grafting trees, it's usually done when a farmer takes a good branch and he grafts it into a wild tree, hoping that the good branch will overtake the wild tree. But a farmer never takes a wild branch and grafts it into a good tree because the result would not be accomplished for which he is looking. But Paul is reasoning here that is precisely what God did. 
God took the wild, unnatural Gentiles and he grafted them into the cultivated olive tree, namely Israel. God grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. And his point in the allegory is that if God can do the harder, impossible thing, taking a wild olive tree and grafting it into a natural tree, then God can do the easier thing, taking a hard, obstinate, resistant Jew and bring him back into the olive tree. So there's a word of promise and there's a word of warning. The word of warning he's already stated very similar to verses 17 to 21. The warning is that if the natural branches could be broken off, so can't the unnatural branches be broken off. But there's also a word of promise for the Jewish people that God is able to bring them back in. And so God, by his power, can take a hard, Christ-hating, resistant Jew and make him a Jew for Jesus. Now, it's tempting to think when you go to Israel and you see such a religious place and people deeply committed to their beliefs that they would ever believe in the Lord Jesus. And I suppose the Jews in the Old Testament era would be tempted to think the same way of those polytheistic Gentiles, those who worshiped the multiplicity of God, who rejected what was known and made known to man, that there was only one God and they suppressed it and they worshiped idols. It would be easy for them to think it's impossible for these Gentiles ever to come to genuine faith. But God can save a Gentile and God can save a Jew. Now let's read verse 24 one more time with this logically implied answer. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, that's us Gentiles, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, these Jews who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? They will, and when they do, they will flourish. So Paul's first point is that it is in the power of God to restore Israel. Secondly, it is in the purpose of God to restore Israel. It's in God's purpose to restore Israel. Look now, if you will, at verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. The Apostle Paul is telling us here that a partial hardening, not a total, but a partial hardening has happened to Israel. And we've already studied that, have we not? Through the history of the Old Testament, even in the worst times of apostasy, God always had his remnant, like 7,000 who'd not bowed the knee to Baal in Elijah's day. And God had his remnant in Paul's day. There were tens of thousands, not millions you would expect, but tens of thousands of believing Jews. Now, please understand, when God speaks about a hardening, he's not saying, well, you know, I think I'll harden these Jews over here, and then I'll pull something off with the Gentiles, and then later on I'll lift that hardening so that the Jews can believe. No, 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 no. We learned in the ninth chapter that God only hardens the heart in response to a man first hardening his heart towards God. When we harden our hearts toward God, then God in turn hardens them. There's a judicial hardening that God brings. But God is reminding us that even in this day, the hardening is not total, it is only partial. And so don't fall into the trap when you meet Jewish people and think, well, I shouldn't share with them because they wouldn't be interested. Because it's not a total hardening, it's partial. 
you know that the man who was instrumental in helping me find Christ was a Jew. And I've led many Jews to Christ in the last 40 years. But we need to think about this verse. Is overall, will there come a day when most Jews will believe? And Paul's answer is yes. Look at verse 25. It's in God's purpose. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Now, musterion is a Greek word. We don't have a single English word to render it. In our day, we think of the word mystery, something that's veiled, that's covered, that's not clear. It's not used that way in the New Testament. Example, Ephesians 2. Paul said, let me tell you about the mystery that God has removed the dividing wall between Jew and Greek, and he's made them one in the church, one people. That was something that was not revealed in the Old Testament that blew them away in Acts 10 when the Gentiles received Christ in the same way and on the same level as the Jews had. And so the word mystery, we'll look at it in a second. I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, there are two key expressions that we have to know. One is the times of the Gentiles, and the other is the fullness of the Gentiles. And those expressions are similar, but they are not the same. The times of the Gentiles refers to that period of time when the Gentiles are dominant over the people of Israel. It's not the time, singular, but the times of the Gentiles. And if you've read the prophet Daniel, he unfolds that time, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar all the way until... The, the smitten rock, Jesus comes back and rules and reigns on the earth. That's the times of the Gentiles in Scripture. And so when Nebuchadnezzar came in and carried away the Jewish people, after 70 years, just as God predicted, they returned to the land. But when they came back to Jerusalem, they came back to build a wall and a temple, not to establish a throne. They built an altar, not a king's palace. There has never, ever, since the time of Nebuchadnezzar, there has never been a king on Israel's throne. Because we're in the times of Gentile dominance, but there is coming a time when Israel will have a king once again, and his name is King Jesus. He will inherit, just as God's angel told Mary, the throne promised to David. And so Israel, when they were established as a nation in 1948... Even since that time, they have to contend with the Gentile nations around them. They're surrounded by a hundred million people who hate them. They're against Israel. And even the United Nations, when Israel became a nation, did not recognize Israel's sovereignty over Jerusalem. And Jesus reminded us in Luke's gospel that the times of the Gentiles is not complete and it will not be completed until the fullness of the Gentiles. Let me read to you Luke 21, 24. Jesus said, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's true to this day. Even that little city in that country, there is great tension. There are people who want to divide Jerusalem in two. There was a time when they became a nation, they only had half of Jerusalem. And in the 67 war, they took the rest of Jerusalem from Jordan. And now it's their city. 
but there's contention all over that city. And so the United Nations said the city should be split. Half of it for the Palestinian capital, half of it for the Jewish capital. In fact, the prophet Zechariah in the 14th chapter said those spoils that Israel got when they took the 67th war, uh, in the 67th war, took all of Jerusalem, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, that they're going to lose that spoil. And I find it fascinating that there is so much talk even in our day by our government and other nations of the world that wants to divide Israel in half because the Bible says that will happen just before Messiah comes. And right after it happens, Jesus will come and his feet will set on the Mount of Olives, the prophet Zechariah says. But here's the point that even when Israel became a nation, there's been so much heat and contention over that piece of real estate. And Jesus said it's going to continue until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He said they will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be taken captive into the nations of the world. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. And so let me bring up a chart here. Maybe this will help at least visualize it for you. If you read the Bible, you'll discover the times of the Gentiles began in 586 BC. That's the top line up there. Hopefully you can see it beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, and it goes all the way until the second coming. That's what Jesus said in Luke 21, 24. The fullness of the Gentiles began on the day of Pentecost, when God began to call a people, a Gentile people, after his own name. And the fullness of the Gentiles will be completed at the rapture of the church. There's coming a time when the final Gentile will believe in God's economy of thinking. And he'll say the church is full, and he's going to come back for his bride. First, he comes back for his saints. And then at the second coming, he comes back with his saints to rule and reign for a thousand years, just as the Old Testament prophets spoke, just as the revelation tells us. And so when the fullness of the Gentile ends between the rapture and the second coming, there's a seven plus year period. And during that time, the times of the Gentiles will be completed and Jesus will come back to the earth. Now, here's the point. Let me read to you a passage from Acts 15, because this was something that was not revealed in the Old Testament. It was a mystery, but it has now been revealed in the the day that we live in. Remember Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, The Apostle James stands up and he says, let me read it to you, Acts 15, 14, Simeon, you know who Simeon is? Who's Simeon? Apostle Peter, that's his Jewish name. It's not by accident that he uses his Jewish name in this context because he is keying off of what Peter has just said as a Jew. Peter is acknowledging there in Jerusalem to a city that is virtually all Jewish believers that God is now working among Gentiles and that they are now God's predominant people through whom he is working. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people were those who were in leadership spiritually to the rest of the world. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. And God chose them, not because they were better or more prolific, but because the Bible says he set his love upon them. And it was very difficult for the Jews in the first century to realize they now had a back seat, that the predominant people that God was going to use was the Gentiles. That was hard for them to swallow because they had put God in a box. And they thought, well, this is the way God has to work. We had a boy in in a second grade Sunday school class who was asked to fulfill an assignment by the teacher. 
And the teacher said, you can draw any biblical scene that you wish. And the teacher came up to John and said, John, what are you drawing? He said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God the Father. And of course, knowing her theology that God the Father is spirit and the only member of the Godhead who ever took on human flesh was God the Son, she said, well, John, you can't draw a picture of God the Father. No one knows what God the Father looks like. And without missing the beat, he says, they will when I'm done. (laughs) You see, we, we tend to box God in. We say, this is how it has to happen. And we, we, we draw the map and we say, this is how he must function. And James stands up and he says, what Simeon, the Jew, Peter said is true. God is now working through the Gentiles. And then he says in the next verse, with this, the words of the prophets agree. In other words, what Peter is saying was actually taught in the Old Testament. Just as it is written, and he quotes one of those prophets, Amos, after these things... I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That is to say, after a ton of Gentiles are born again, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then Jesus will come back. Israel's Messiah will come a second time to fulfill all the prophecies that God made. But right now, God in this present age, since the day of Pentecost, has concerned himself about taking a nation from the Gentiles, a people from the Gentiles. So the times of the Gentiles refers to political domination of the Gentile nations over Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles is a spiritual term that refers to those non-Jews who are being born again. And when the height of Israel's rebellion was seen and they're rejecting the Lord Jesus as their Savior and Lord, God took away their privilege and he began working through a new people. And so now when you think about it, who's evangelizing the world? Who is the light to the rest of the world? Is it Jews that are carrying the good news? No, they're just a minority of believing Jews. There's a remnant. There's 150 congregations in Israel, even in our day. There's 100,000 plus Jews in our own nation that believe on the Lord Jesus. But they're a remnant. For the most part, it is Gentiles who travel around the world taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But there's coming a day when the fullness of the Gentiles will end, and that will be totally reversed. When will that happen? During a time known as the Great Tribulation when the Jews believe in Jesus. Now there's coming a time, in the Old Testament it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the worst time on earth that has ever or will ever happen. Two-thirds, according to the Revelation, two-thirds of the people living on earth will die. You talk about a 9-11, you take 9-11 and multiply it a billion times over. You talk about heartache... It is a terrible ache that will fall on the earth, but God is going to use it. Now, think about what God is doing, though, in preparation for that time, because I believe that we are witnessing the beginning of the end, and I will not be at all surprised. No one knows when Jesus will return, but I will not be at all surprised if I get to see the rapture in my own lifetime. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, it was nothing short of a miracle, Approximately 600,000 Jews at the time were surrounded by 40 million Arabs. And they won. They were victorious. Why? Because it was a fulfillment of prophecy. When preachers like myself 100 years ago spoke of the future regathering of Israel, they were laughed at. They said they haven't been a nation since 70 A.D. 
What do you mean they're going to become a nation? That's impossible. It was as wild and as crazy to them a hundred years ago as a man walking on the moon. And what took place was nothing short of a miracle. And equally significant has been what God has done in Israel since that time. Because God is bringing Jewish people back. Communism fell and millions of Jews came from the former Soviet blocs into Israel. Then you had all your Ethiopian African Jews who migrated from Africa into Israel. And now even in our day, even in the current crisis with cities all across the world, not just protesting what is happening today in Israel, but with that protest is coming all these anti-Semitic slurs and hatred. We've seen it in the last two weeks in Germany, in Spain, in France, in England, and even in a few cities in the United States. But God was sovereign when he brought those people back into the land. When Hitler murdered six million Jewish people, God, as the Bible says, uses the wrath of man to praise him. God used the devil's sword to cut off his own head. God used that to create a desire for the Jews to come to their homeland. You know, the Jewish people came to the United States during the time of the Holocaust, and the President of the United States said, you cannot come in. It is so embarrassing to me as an American when I go into the Holocaust Museum, either in Washington, D.C., or the one that we've duplicated after that in Israel, and you see these letters from the President of the United States saying, no, the Jews can't come in. And they had no place to go. So God brought them back into his own land. Listen to what happened 10 years after Paul wrote, writes Roman. Jesus predicted this. Jesus said, for the days will come, the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so in 70 AD, just as Jesus had prophesied, the Roman general Titus Vespucian came down and he murdered one million Jewish people. And he carried away another 100,000. And the few that were remaining in 132 AD were then carried away and forced and expelled by the Romans into slavery. Now, let me give you a uh, picture of the demographics of Israel. After that time, Israel was virtually a desolate place. But there was a little movement in the late 1800s to the Zionist movement, where some Jews said, we want to go back to the homeland because God said it's our land. And so for the first time, when demographics were kept, there were 25,000 Jews there in Israel. In 1948, when they became a nation, there were 600,000 Jews in Israel. Today, there are over 6 million Jews in Israel, which represent 43% of all the Jewish people on the planet. Why? Because God is setting the stage through Israel to bring his son back from heaven. You say, is the return of the Jews from these other countries of the world? And we're seeing even movement in the last two weeks, Jews in France, Jews in Ukraine, Jews in other countries of the world that are pleading with Israel to come and, and the president says, come on, we'll provide a place for you. Why? Because of the growing anti-Semitic spirit in our day. That's what we're seeing. We're witnessing it right before our eyes and more Jews are coming back. 
You say, is that significant? Yes, it's what God said would happen. Listen to this, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, God said, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Likewise, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 11, therefore say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of promise. Moses predicted that the Jews would be scattered, but then he predicted also a regathering in Deuteronomy 30. He said, if your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed. I was reading this week Adam Clark, who was a, a British Methodist who recognized how God had fulfilled all the prophecies for the first coming, literally. And he was a minority in his day, and he believed that God had to fulfill it also in reference to the second coming. And he wrote these words. He was born in 1760, but in 1811 he wrote, as this promise, the one I just read from Deuteronomy 30, as this promise refers to a return from captivity in which they had been scattered among all nations... Consequently, this cannot refer to the Babylonian captivity. In other words, he's saying when, when they came back after 70 years, that cannot possibly be a fulfillment of that promise because God said he would gather them from all the nations of the earth, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. When the British were in control of Israel, they offered the Jewish people Uganda as a new homeland. And had they accepted that homeland... And had the Jews come from all over the world to Uganda, then God would not have fulfilled his promise. Because God promised the regathering not just to any place, but to the land which your fathers possessed. Moreover, Moses adds a spiritual following that will happen. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Now, that has not been fulfilled. But Moses said before the second can happen, before the dry bones of Ezekiel's vision can come to life spiritually, the people have to be regathered physically. So Moses gave the order. There's a physical regathering, and then there's a spiritual regathering. Ezekiel does the same thing. There's a physical regathering, and then there's spiritual life that will come out of that, where God will circumcise their heart. And that's why I say we are witnessing the beginning of the end. And when you add to what God is doing in Israel, when you add to the apostasy that is happening amongst Gentiles around the world... When you look at the moral climate, there's just a number of issues that are coming together that God is going to use to bring about the return of his son. And so between verses 25 and 26 here in Romans 11, there's a lot that God is fulfilling. And so verse 26 says, and all Israel will be saved. Now let me visualize the prophetic calendar. As you can see on this chart, we're right now in the church age. That time between Pentecost and the rapture, what the Bible calls the fullness of the Gentiles. And when God's bride is complete, he will catch us up, which is what the word rapture means. We shall all be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Today's message was entitled, The Beginning of the End, program ROM56. You can listen to it again by using the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478. Just ask for program ROM56. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we conclude our look at Romans 11 and the national section of this great epistle. Join us then as we search the scriptures.